your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Ryan, unfortunately, no Alex with us to celebrate Everton's 3-0 win against Leeds United at Goodison Park, Everton's biggest Premier League victory since September 2020 in the 5-2 victory against West Brom, uh, biggest win while conceding zero goals in the competition since the 4-0 win over Manchester United in April 2019, a desperately, desperately needed result for the Toffees, which they get, claim all three points and we will be diving into all of the details. It was a sensational day to be a blue. Before we get into instant reactions, just a reminder to please subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find all of the links at linktr.ee slash usatoffeepod. And if you want to join our Discord, you can do so by going to invite.gg slash ATP. Those links will also be in the description of the episode. Now, without further delay, Ryan, over to you for your instant match reaction. Wow. It sounded like the U.S. Hot Rod Truck and Tractor Pull ads. Remember those things? Yeah, something like that. That's great. Yeah. Spring national, national, national. Um, That was fun. That was fun, right? It was kind of like not stressful. And when the third one went in, I'm like, wow, this is, I think someone quoted, uh, I think it was on, maybe it was Matt on the uh, Discord it's like I'm just—I was just waiting for the 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 goal in like the 87th minute just to make us sweat out the last like three or five. Uh, it was nice. It was good to see us get on the front foot and pretty much stay there. I think there were a lot of reasons for that. I'm looking forward to getting into that. We had some correct score predictions and then a really brutal one, James with a Z. What the heck, man? <laughs> we had a yeah three correct well two correct score predictions. We had Mersey Blue in parentheses in Frank we trust. Predicted 3-0 Everton, because why not? As good a reason as any. And then we had ORL underscore Toffee. 3-0, let's be optimistic. Is that Barry? No, that's not Barry. It's a, must oh. be a, I assume it's Orlando, but it must be a different... Orlando Toffees represent, man. They that's do, man. Crowd, so that, I'm happy to see that. I hadn't seen that before. A lot of new people in the Discord recently. I think the discussion's outstanding. So please come join the Discord. It's fun. And then we had James Harper, longtime member of the Brutal. Discord, with Brutal. the opposite of an optimistic prediction, predicted 3-0 leads. We'll give him uh, 0.4 credit. He's like the nicest guy, too, man. Totally. James, that's just like drop the hammer today, unless it's like reverse psychology or something. <laughs> hey, I've been known to subscribe to the reverse psychology regarding score predictions, although my prediction was 8-7 in favor of Everton. That did not come to pass, though at moments <laughs> I, it felt like it could get away yeah. from us and become that. But before we get into the match, let's set the stage a little bit, because I believe it was on Friday, there was an interesting clip that came out from Ben Foster, Norwich City goalkeeper, from his podcast called The Fozcast, which, Ugh. terrible name in my opinion, but hey... More power to him. He's talking to a couple guests in there. They're discussing, um, I guess, just crowd atmospheres. And I don't know the context of it, but here's what he said. And people were going kind of berserk over this. He said, if you can get on top of Everton early doors, the Everton fans are horrible to Everton players. If they, they get right on top of them, 
for sure they get into the players' heads. That's what we say before the game. We make a point of saying it. The Everton fans are horrible. If it looks like we're overrunning them or something, they get on the Everton players like crazy. Get under their skin quickly because the fans will turn on them. And uh, this sparked a very interesting debate. Uh, For me, I I don't really disagree with much of what Ben Foster said. Seems like a pretty accurate assessment. And when the opposition are pointing out that your own fans can be weaponized against you, uh, it, it doesn't reflect very well on the state of the fan base as a whole. But we know that that's, of course, been the case for most of the season. Very negative and toxic at times. So, Ryan, what do you make of this kind of debate where some people say, you know, the players need to galvanize the crowd and the players need to earn our support versus, you know, the role of the fan being to help support the team and and provide an advantage with the atmosphere by any way that they possibly can. Well, this one's a little complicated because Everton haven't won a trophy in 27 years and they still sell out their away allotments at virtually every, every match. So the suggestion that Everton fans are bad or not dedicated would be nuts. I mean, my God, anyone else would have bailed by now, you know, if you were lukewarm fan, uh, that's not the case. So that goes without saying, I I think we both uh, would agree with that, but, uh, we've been to Goodison, um, you know, uh, you know, other people have, and they've said the same thing that it seems like certain players, are targeted. They certainly are in social media. And that that's a lot more of why like I defend a guy like Alex Wobi a lot or even Solomon Rondon. And it really has not that much to do with me. I know it's a funny funny joke now that I'm like the Alex Wobi lover for some reason, but um and the t shirt was funny in Florida, I thought. But but the point is like I think that part is bad. Uh, you know, the immediate reaction and jumping on people and the jumping to conclusions and Sometimes the lack of thought into judging players too early and too quickly, I I think it has to stop. Um, I don't know how to stop it. I mean, I try and be, you know, we try at least on the pod and look at things uh, objectively. And and there's lots of guys where I feel like they are written off because they're maybe played in, in a strange position when they had success prior to us. Some have had success since. Um, so I, but I don't know how you get around that, but I, I think, so it's hard. You know, on one side, we haven't experienced a lot of success. So I understand being pessimistic. Um, on the other hand, I mean, root for your guys, you know. Yeah. I've gotten into this whole concept, too, about what is supporting the manager mean, and I still don't know because <laughs> I'm not going there and root. Like, what are you going to root for? You know, like, great Let's tactics go, Lampard. Right. I mean, what are you going to say? Like, Let's great go, job, Lampard. Frank, setting up with, you know, four four two today. I mean, I, you know, that's just kind of silly. But, but I mean, naturally, you cheer for the fans. But but I will say this. I mean, it's one thing if you're not putting forth effort. And I've seen that. And I, I think most good fans, if you feel like they're really not getting on the front foot, putting forth effort, and that it's not tactical, I understand getting fired up and maybe bringing out the boo birds if it's a really bad performance. But I mean, we saw what a difference was today. It seemed pretty positive from the onset. And and was it a coincidence? Do you think that we just started off well? No, I, I don't think so at all. I mean, I think I and I think you frame it really well in that people are totally within their right to be upset. It's been forever since Everton have had any kind of we can't help. Success. It. I mean, it's just sure. you're gonna be frustrated. I get it. And it's. And I can understand that manifesting itself with a negative yell at a player or just booing or whatever it may be. That said, I think that ultimately becomes counterproductive. If the goal is for the team to win and you as a fan have the ability in any way, even if it's 0.1%, I think it's more than that. But 
influence the outcome of the match by making things difficult for the opposition, by being loud, by backing the team and, and cheering for them and using positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement, I think it's incumbent upon you to do so. And we saw that today. We saw, and we've seen it in almost every sport, what a difficult, what a, what a home atmosphere can do in terms of boosting the home team and hurting the away team. And there's some comments later on that we'll get into following the timeline that illustrate that. But you could tell there was a lot of work that went in behind the scenes uh, the County Road Bobblers and others, uh, View from Bobblers the Bullies are amazing. Guys. Good job, guys. It's outstanding work in getting really just the the morale up and the the like setting the stage for an incredible Goodison atmosphere, which was desperately needed. Again, this was such a critical game. If we had lost this, I don't know. Thankfully, we didn't because I don't want to have to record that podcast. But um, we from the off, I mean, people they they discounted beers in the ground early, so to encourage people to go in. Um, tons of banners, tons of flags, and the sirens go off. And, you know, if you're an opposition player waiting to come out of that tunnel, it's got to be just like, oh, I mean, good today, God. Yeah, and we'll get to the Dan James quote later because I thought it was a really good one. But um, it made a huge, huge difference. Um, I think a lot of things made a difference, though, today. There were a lot of contributing factors as to probably why we could start on the front foot, you know. Uh, and I think when the lineups were announced – I think it said a lot. I actually felt incredibly different right after the lineups were announced when I, you know, kind of, I started looking at it and thinking, you know, we can, we can win this thing. We we actually should win this thing. I don't know how you felt when you kind of saw them up front, like pop up because it was very telling. I thought, yeah, I thought so too, but let's start with Leeds lineup, Ryan, because um, Bielsa made some decisions that, you know, we had really criticized uh, Frank Lampard for just a few days ago in well, keeping basically the same lineup in place from just a, having a game three days ago against Villa. Yeah, DL and I, partners in crime on the Discord this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was critical of Frank because I thought, I think people misunderstand it, though. It's not just the back-to-back games. It was prioritizing one versus the other. That was my my deal. I, I didn't care as much about the FA Cup. I'm concerned about relegation, and I wanted to see us play a stronger lineup in Newcastle. He didn't really choose. He he went kind of with both, and and we saw what happened with Bielsa today. He announced virtually the exact same lineup as they had in the Wednesday match against Villa, the three three tie. Um, so I, I so again, if he was going to do that, if if the same thing happened to us in the Newcastle match, what we'd have at least one injury in the first half, and they would look exhausted. And well, uh, <laughs> again, that's what happened. But we will get into that. It's kind of funny. I mean, you know, it's hard to say. Leads are super fit. I mean, a lot of Bielsa ball is designed on fitness. But uh, the thing is, going into this one, the attack has been okay. I mean, Jack Harrison's been on fire. Uh, we know Rafinha's dangerous. Kudos to Jack Harrison for being the Wake Forest former player he is. Um, Dan James scored two against Villa, but I, I think the idea of him playing striker is kind of strange um i made some lord of the rings comments off off <laughs> odd which are less than complimentary but i tend to you know anyway i'll move you can on draw you can you know connect the yep. knots there folks. Yep. yeah yeah that's right uh rodrigo is finally looking good when they signed him for big money last year definitely took him time to transition i think they thought they were getting the pressing maniac that was so good at valencia for a couple years um but look they miss phillips so badly and you look at that back line and it looks ugly. I mean, their their expected goals against is 18th in the league, 39 goals against. But even worse, they've given up like 43 because Messier has the worst post-expected goals shot differential in the entire league at negative 
That is just, and he was so good last year. You know, goalies do fluctuate a little bit, and I think that stat's tough because, you know, one or two things that go in and, you know, the numbers calculate. Pickfords are, are bad again this year, I might add. Uh, the last thing, too, that I found very amusing is the graphic lift, listed as like a four one four one. Laughable. They probably don't have the graphics for like the three three one three or the three 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 one. Bielsa's favorite. I love personally the three three one three. It's like my favorite setup he's ever used. Uh, but today I think it was more the three 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 one. But yeah, they miss Phillips. And if you remember Phillips, last time he quarterbacked leads really against us, he just bossed the game, and they, they really missed him today. And I think they struggled with our with our pressure. Now I thought the Everton lineup was curious. You know, we've seen a lot of that. Attacking in 3-4-3, we saw a little more defending with back four where Coleman would drop, whether that was you know tracking uh, St. Maximum or not. That was kind of the shape. And we saw you know 3-4-3, the match before in the FA Cup match. This didn't, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like, is this a 3-4-3 when it was announced? It didn't seem like the personnel quite fit that. And it, sure enough, it, it did not. Yeah, so we had four changes. Lampard elects to bring in Dominic Calvert-Lewin, very positive. Alex Awobi, Donnie Vandebeek makes his first start in an Everton shirt. And then John Joe Kenny also included. So you have Coleman and John Joe Kenny. Uh, on the other side of that, you have Townsend, Gomez, both dropping, as well as Mina and Gray, of course, due to injury. And so, like you, like you, Ryan, I was a little puzzled and perplexed by the personnel selection, wondering what formation are we going to, is he, is he going to shoehorn these guys into the formation that we've used in the last couple matches? And it turns out, you know, it thought maybe, okay, is Awobi going to maybe play wing back? Coleman as the third center back with John Joe Kenny. No, turns out none of that was correct. It's a back to basics 4 4 2 approach with Richie and Dominic Calvert Lewin up top, Awobi and Anthony Gordon on in the wide spots in midfield, and then John Joe Kenny at left back, which as soon as the game started, I kind of gasped a little worried about that, you know, given the. Long-term concerns about John Joe Kenny's quality, but of course he, I think, shone quite brightly today, as we'll discuss in depth as we move into the timeline. But before we do that, uh, Ryan put together some really interesting observations regarding Lampard's history playing against Bielsa because, uh, well, Ryan, you can just take it away and, and walk us through the thought process here. Yeah, it made me feel pretty good, honestly, because I started thinking about things and I'm like, God, Bielsa is so tricky to play against, you know, in this league in particular. It's pretty unique. Um, some of the formations and the structure he uses in terms of creating pressure and whatnot. And I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, Frank has played against this guy a bunch and that's got to be a huge benefit. Now, the problem is I remember when I remember him was when they first played against him when he was at Derby, they just got the daylights kicked out of him in the first two matches. But then it went back a little bit farther, and I looked, and I remembered, oh, yeah, they were in the playoff together. So they got to play back-to-back -back matches against them. And that's where Frank dialed up that diamond midfield that he talked about in the, in his conversations with Gary Neville. Worked so well. Um, I don't think they got through, but the point is it's kind of interesting that that was successful, and they eventually kind of lost. But he got past Leeds as a result. And, and then you look at the last match when they played him at Chelsea, and it's unbelievable. I mean, the XG is almost six to under under one. I mean, and, and what I found very interesting was the Havertz mount ahead of N'Golo Conte. That's pretty aggressive. And, you know, I've had some concerns about Donny Van Beek uh, playing kind of as that eight or playing deeper. Now, we've seen him do it a couple times. I remember watching him play it with Nematomatic and, and looked good. I think it's a little bit of a waste of him. 
but I should have thought more about that, you know, and known that that was a little more a possibility because I didn't really think that was necessarily how they were going to set up, but, but it was, but anyway, the, the overall point is that Frank has shown progressive success, I think against Bielsa and, and, uh, I think that's really encouraging thing. And, and he's still a young manager and he's got some things to learn, but the team just seemed coherent today. But I also think it's worth noting that the team is playing. I think the way some of these guys kind of should play and play in their strengths, a in particular today. And I think, I think we saw it. Um, Lead shape was, was interesting. I think when you look at it, I mean, I think there was a concerted effort to attack in the wide spaces. And I think to stretch out a four, four, two, that makes a lot of sense. But I loved how we really kind of stayed compact in our pressure. Like we really went at the middle of them several times and, and we did not give them a lot of time on the ball. Um, when we triggered the press and it seemed like yeah. it was pretty in sync. I thought, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts were. It's interesting to look at the tactical setup and the shape. You know what I mean? It was very, very unique, uh, as most leads matches are. Yeah, the shape is is fascinating because you have leads um, kind of scattered. They leave they based on their average position, they're leaving a lot of space open in the middle, and in that space, you have basically like six Everton players uh, all kind of jumbled together. You had DCL and Richarlison kind of obviously leading the line, but you also had Alex Wobe and Anthony Gordon kind of on either side of them. Um, I think they switched sides a couple times as well, which might they impact did. that, yeah. but. They also had a ton of freedom to both get up and down uh, while maintaining defensive responsibilities, but also to cut inside, cut across the pitch with the ball at their feet and really drag leads players out of position. And you hit on the press, Ryan. I thought that, you know, and we hit on this in the Twitter spaces post-match. In some ways, we were trying to maybe not out leads leads, but bring some of that similarity in the, the intensity of the press. But we did it in selective moments, and I thought our decision-making there was really, really effective. When we chose to press, it almost always resulted in generating a turnover or at least uh, dis, dis, uh, putting leads out of their rhythm. Early, it was really good. Yeah. I mean, early, they were really struggling with it. It was more aggressive. We, we took the foot off the gas a couple times after we scored um, a few times. I think what's really fascinating too is if you look at the the attack sides, Leeds was forty two percent right side, forty two percent left side, only sixteen percent down the middle. Now we were only twenty three, but I, I felt that from Leeds, like they really didn't go down the middle. And probably my favorite part about average positions, Michael Keane, Michael Keane and Holgate to an extent. Holgate was more covering, which is funny because he's normally more aggressive. Watching those guys take turns, kind of stepping up into any sort of gap that would be left by a very, a fairly aggressive ball playing duo in Alon and Donny Vanabeek, uh, I thought made all the difference in the world. It, it really limited and kept Leeds shots way outside. And those shot numbers, I think are pretty, pretty indicting of how dominant I thought we were. Yeah. 100%. I mean, you look at Leeds took 71% of their shots from outside of the box. You have it all day. Go ahead. The, yeah, exactly. Zero well, well, percent from in the six. Well, well I shouldn't say I'm Pickford's like the worst at those. But but and that I, almost backfired on us a couple but that's, times. But that's ideal, right? I mean, that's exactly what you want. You force low percentage shots, leads to better outcomes more often than not. And on the other hand, Everton, we took forty eight percent outside of the box, but forty eight percent inside the eighteen and five percent in the six. I'm guessing the five was probably that first goal, which we'll get to very shortly. But yeah, you you take better shots from better positions, you're bound to create more chances, and we were by far the better team in terms of chance creation today, 
And with that, let's get into the timeline and talk about some of those chances because, as we said before, Goodison rocking, going bananas before kickoff, and we almost sent everyone into uh, euphoria almost immediately following the kickoff in the second minute. Anthony Gordon gets played in and has a really, really, really good chance to score, but unfortunately uh, gets disrupted from behind a little bit, fluffs his lines and hits it wide. But that was just foreshadowing for what would basically continue for the rest of the half. Gordon seemed a little spun up early. I mean, he, <laughs> yeah. he had some heavy touches. He kind of forced some balls in. He eventually settled down and had a fantastic match, I thought. But that's a little bit where you're going to get from Anthony Gordon right now. You know, he's a little bit more effort and, and you know, inertia, initiative, which is really good. The quality in the final third hasn't been there, although those numbers looked very good afterwards, uh, you know, from an output standpoint. But it's just good to see him starting to find things. But, yeah, he was... But that was good. I mean, we wanted to play frantic, which is funny to throw it right back in their face. And I, it did not look like Leeds was all that up for the fight at times, which was interesting. And then a massive moment I thought in the ninth was Stuart Dallas, who we were joking off the pod, absolutely should be like some high school quarterback in like Texas or, you know, like Stu Dallas. You th- that Stu Dallas can really throw a pigskin. Yeah, I mean, we we I, I mean we spent probably way too long just making fun of the Texas <laughs> accent, but and I shouldn't be. We should be nice too because we no, got several we love our Dallas, Texas. Yeah. several Dallas folk on our uh, sure. Discord. Yeah, but you know, Stuart Stuart Dallas had had to leave leave the corral and uh, walk off the pitch in the ninth. Uh, Awobi took him out. Uh, <laughs> that's maybe a little aggressive. But the Hawks Awobi was throwing his weight around today for whatever reason. But yeah, this begs the, the question. You know, the comment that we had against Newcastle, the Gray and Mina injuries. I mean, it's hard to just say very easily. Oh, they're overworked. You know, that's that's too simple. Um, but it's a risk you take. You know, when you play guys that much, but they don't have a tremendous amount of depth. He's a fantastic player for him. That's a massive downgrade. And I mean, you know, you just start to feel it like. Maybe it's our day, you know, and yeah. sure enough, a minute later, one nil to the Toffees. This one was the captain himself, Seamus Coleman. Uh, it starts off with some really neat buildup. It's uh, Anthony Gordon really getting this move kicked off with a really nice one touch pass. He receives it from Seamus Coleman, one touch into Donnie Van de Beek, making the run into the box. Van de Beek squares it to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who can't quite get on the end of it but kind of pops it in the air. And then Seamus Coleman continuing the run from when he handed it to Coleman just goes full lunge, heaves himself into the net to get his head on it, puts it in the back of the net. And then Goodison goes bananas and Seamus mean mugs the heck out of that celebration. I mean, running to the corner, just the scowl. uh, You could say, you know, an authentic hard man right there uh, finishing that. And, it was just a beautiful, beautiful start. It was a terrifying look. I mean, it really did look like Stuart Pierce's goal after he scored in penalties <laughs> in Euro 96, where he just looks possessed and like, I mean, he was so, it was way more than when Seamus kicked the board. Remember when he scored, you know, a couple yeah. of years ago? Uh, and he I scowls mean, he, and he like blows a kiss <laughs> while he's like fury in his eyes. It was just it, so it, good. It was it was it was slightly disturbing, frankly. Yeah. It was like water boy moment when they slowed down <laughs> and it's disturbing. Uh but the point was the place was absolutely rocking. Talk about a time you would have loved to be there. You know, I, oh. I just could not I mean it just sounded 
Incredible. They were cheering Awobi's name in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. What is going on here today? Fascinating stat on this one, which is it's probably not as rare as you would think, but for as many appearances as Seamus Coleman has, when he scored, we should have known it was over at this point, right, James? 100% from EFC Stato said, uh, excluding penalty shootouts, Everton have never lost in games where Seamus Coleman has scored 21 wins and six draws. There's a incredible stat for you. The captain leading the way, leading the charge, putting us up 1-0. And then, you know, Leeds maybe settled into things a little bit, but in the 17th oh, minute, Holgate gets called upon to make a rather desperate challenge on Daniel James, who is being played in on goal. It ends up being really clean and really nice, but it was a last man uh, desperate situation for sure. That was one of those moments where the, the match could have changed very quickly. Totally. And Holgate have played a good match, I think, today, too. So I'm glad that didn't happen, but he does get very aggressive in certain situations at times, and it just I don't think he's the best decision maker. Um, he was good today. That could have made a big difference. And, and yeah, Leeds was growing into the match a little bit at this point. Um, Rodrigo is a pretty good shot. I mean, that was from deep, and he had he had that in the bag today. He just quite didn't quite execute. Um, he hits the woodwork on this one. I know you said, I know you said that, but I'm just, I can't I swear you. that hit the post. It was no, just, I, it, I, I believe it 100% hit the post, but Jordan Pickford kind of caught out of position where he's really nowhere near. I mean, you rarely see those types of shots hit where it's dipping it yeah, so I mean, it, well, I know. but he's still, even for, you know, no keeper saving it, but he was nowhere near in position to make any kind of play on it. So bailed out a little bit, not to, uh, and a bit unfortunate for Rodrigo, not for the last time on the day, but a really nice strike and maybe struck some fear into the hearts of Everton fans and players alike. Yeah, and then then there was this great moment in the 22nd because Graham Scott, the referee today, I'm telling you right now, was absolutely awful. Sorry to say <laughs> that, Graham, if you're listening, I apologize. Actually, no, I don't apologize because it was just embarrassing. I mean, he missed so many calls I couldn't even. But this one was one of my favorites where Luke Ayling goes up, and Luke Ayling seems like a lovely chap, but he gets a little out of control and over-exuberant at times. He kicks Holgate straight in the face. And look, I I'm not saying it's a red card. How is that not a yellow? I mean, literally, boot to the face. Uh, it wasn't bleeding. I mean, he's okay, I guess. But how is that not a yellow? I, I just don't understand that. Uh, if that's not a yellow, what is a dangerous yeah. play yellow? Does that even exist then? Like, uh, seriously, do you have to, like, launch in a karate kick someone in the face? Is that a yellow? God, what's a red? Like, decapitation? Yeah, I mean, it I, feels like uh, if you were doing an instructional video for referee training and, like, wanted to do a demonstration on what is a dangerous play yellow... That one fits the bill exquisitely. Um, but that was in the 22nd minute. In the 23rd minute, all of those negative thoughts went by the wayside because Everton win a corner. It's Anthony Gordon on it in the absence of Damari Gray. He swings it in. You saw the Everton players prior to the play forming like a little bit of a little train uh, and then breaking in multiple directions. Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Michael Keane sort of heading to the middle of the six-yard box. And AG puts this one right on Keane's head, a really, really nice header, bangs it in the back of the net, destroys Patrick Struck. <laughs> Again, he's a pretty decent-sized guy, and we're up 2-0. We're flying inside a half an hour. Let the party start. 
I'm sorry. You don't have like a choo-choo train in the notes. And that really threw me because I was thinking more like a stack in basketball, which is a common thing. And now that I think about it, it really was like a train. Uh, and now I'm thinking of like wedding dancing and stuff. And I'm like, you just yeah, it was like a mamba. Me. It was like a mamba. Interesting. Uh, yeah, this is a phenomenal header, honestly, by Michael Keane. I mean, he's got a guy under him, goes over him. Dom is there, too. The, I think it's a pretty good service ball. I don't know if it was supposed to go there because both guys kind of went after it. I mean, Keane just blasts this thing. I, it, it was. I cannot tell you how hard that is to do with the guy under you running straight through, totally fearless, head right on it. Leeds is 18th in the league and set piece goals against. I think they're probably last now, tied for last. Uh, and that's their big problem. They have been since day one for Bielsa. I, I don't understand that. Part of it's personnel. You know, he doesn't necessarily play the biggest guys, but it's got to be more than that. I can't believe he stubbornly hasn't fixed that. And I love Marcelo Bielsa. He's debatably my favorite coach um, in the last 20 years. But this is a mistake. But I mean, we're up 2-0 here, and we're absolutely flying, and the place is absolutely going crazy. Um, and we, this is where I felt like we really started putting the pressure on him at times, you know, in the past, we might've backed off a little bit and eventually we did, but we kept coming at him. Can we talk about John Joe Kenny for a second on this one playing off the wrong side? It was like a double Cruyff turn stuffing Rafinha. First of all, several times before this, who's their danger guy in the 26th minute goes forward, does this double Cruyff turn pulls back. Um, kind of lays it off to Gordon. Gordon tries to curl one. It wasn't the greatest, but the point is, like, that's a dangerous play. And to see John Joe Kenny playing with just such freedom and aggression, you know? Um, God, he was really good today. Rafinha really didn't do too much. And if you take him away, I mean, it's a, that's a, that was a big deal for us. And Gordon was helping a lot. I thought Gordon and Awobi's ability to track back and really help makes the 4-4-2 work. They had to put in a lot of effort today, no question, they but they did. And I, I thought it made a big difference. Yeah, John Joe Kenny just brimming with confidence. It's not something we're super accustomed to seeing from him, but what a great move. And at that point, I was like, who? And I think this might have been when he was called John Joe Shelby by the announcer, actually. It might have been shortly before that, but. I mean, you know. in his defense, there's only two John Joes out there. But right. I mean, seriously, man, come on. He was. Is this also the time where he realized we were playing? We switched to 4 4 2? Yeah. Despite right. playing 4 4 2 from the onset. I mean, the second I saw that, I'm like, that's not real. Did not <laughs> seriously just. And you can tell he's trying to be smart about tactics and stuff. I'm like, really? Do, come really? on, man. Come that on, really man. Come on. But it was great to see John Joe Kenny in an unfamiliar position, brimming with that type of confidence in the final third as well, and looking to create for his teammates and Anthony Gordon, really desperate to make something come off, trying to shoot pretty much any opportunity he got. But really strong from Kenny, and that would continue for the rest of the match as well. In the 28th minute, Daniel James picks up a yellow for a foul on Richarlison, basically stopping him on the break, which of course sets the stage later on in the match, uh, which became quite interesting. Yeah, and I, you know, for love of me, I'm going to mention it now because I don't know when the heck it happened. But the point is, this is another great, fantastic job, Graham Scott, where Daniel James later in the match, when Pickford comes out to play a ball, absolutely submarines him, takes him out. Air Pickford, people were making cracks about. But it's one where he looks dead at the keeper, does not look at the ball, puts his shoulder and just hammers Pickford. And I, ju I just don't understand. I understand the Premier League now apparently is it's not a foul unless someone's bleeding, but... That, it was ridiculous, and I just don't – Pick could have gotten hurt. 
thought it was a dirty play. I, I didn't think Dan James was like that. Maybe he was frustrated. But that's another one where you think that would be a deterrent, but you almost know that you can just smoke someone now and you barely get a yellow for it. So you set the tone early. That's pretty much what happens. And I, I about lost my mind in the 35th when Richarlison gets called for this tackle, which, I mean, really? You call that then? Like, I, I just felt like it was really one-sided at this point. Uh, Alon at one point got hammered like three or four times. They finally called a foul after he had to lend, lost the ball, won it back, and then like held it between his legs and like tumbled along with it for them to finally call the foul. I, I just, it was awful, man. It was very frustrating. Um, but look, I, I just love the freedom that we played with t- today. At this point where you could tell we were a little gas going in the second half, Alex Awobi really came on here. Um, there was the one play where Awobi kind of received the ball from Richarlison off the side, made a little move, leaned back a little too much, tried to curl it into the corner. But I love the fact that Awobi felt the freedom to cut inside, receive the ball in the 18. Like we were throwing guys. Gordon was doing the same thing, throwing him at the ball on the other side. Um, oh, and then the 42nd. Awobi plays this lovely little through ball. DCL does not miss this one by too much. You could tell he was a little off today. Just getting back. His presence was definitely valued. His ability to run behind here. I mean, this doesn't miss by much. If this thing goes in, I mean, I just at least should have just walked off at halftime. How do you think Dominic Calvert-Lewin played today, Hamas? Because I, I thought he was important, but he seemed a little off. Yeah, I mean, as expected. I think he's still sort of working his way back in. But there's no denying that he brings just a completely different element to the striker role that we have desperately missed. I thought his hold up play, especially in the first half was super, was, was just critical to how we wanted to play. Um, even as, and again, his ability in the air is superb. He's winning a lot of aerials. Um, when his little bun stays in, he's a, he's a top notch player, but when it falls out and you get a glimpse of those locks, uh, things start, maybe start to, to drift astray. But yeah, I thought, I thought Dom was, was really good. Um, didn't it really doesn't fun. matter. It's what car he drives to. to oh, to of course, party. sure. But anyway, I, yeah, I thought it was a really encouraging performance. Something to build on for Dominic Calvert Lewin. Obviously, not his best. But then in the stoppage time of the first half, Rodrigo comes back for another bite and looks to strike almost the exact same shot. And this time he hits like the intersection of the post in the crossbar, top ninety, and it's another just beautiful strike that's unlucky for him. And despite Leeds, that being, I think, their fourth shot of the first half, they end with zero on target but two posts. So it could have theoretically been level at the half had Leeds put in two worldies. Would have been undeserved, but this yeah. was a ridiculous shot. Um, Pickford was beat, too. Is it flat-out beat, which, you know, I got to shake my head about a little bit. I swear, I, I maybe just didn't think he was – I mean, he already had a crack earlier – um, this was just an unbelievable shot. It's the type of shot that I almost thought it deserved to go in. It was oh, so yeah. good, uh, but it would have been against the run of play really for the most part. And it would have been just an absolute worldly, but Hey man, it wasn't their day today. We were the better team and we go into halftime. They're winning the battle of possession 46 to 54, but early we were on the ball more. I mean, look at the shot difference. It's pretty significant and we're a little sloppy. And I think the numbers indicate that as well. Yeah, we're 12 to 4 in shots, 7 on target to Leeds, 0, as I just said. A little bit sloppy in possession, but that's exactly kind of what Leeds are going to try to do to you is make you make bad decisions. So we were dispossessed 10 times. A lot of that was Rich Harlison, which we'll talk about in individual performances shortly. But Leeds also had 8 interceptions. That said, when you go up 
2-0 inside half an hour, it's hard not to feel like you were in uh, control, especially when leads are creating so little. And I think in the second half, we, we were playing the ball out a lot and kind of taking no chances, especially without, I mean, Michael Keane and Mason Holgate are not the two guys that I want to necessarily be playing around with the ball at the back. You what? Know? So, well, I mean, I get that. I mean, they're not mean and it's not Godfrey. So, but, so I'm okay with that. Now I will say this though. I could not believe right at the second half, Bielsa comes in and makes his last two subs. I mean, you take off glitch and you take off Rafinha debatably, they're two best players. I mean, maybe not, but maybe they're two most important ones. And I'm just thinking he's either got something totally crazy dialed up or it's just over. Uh, and John Joe Kenny deserves all the credit in the world for basically taking Rafinha out of the match. Okay. He had some help, but he did sure. a really good job, but it was very interesting right out of the second half. They came out, they were just going right after Coleman, you know, and, and they were spoon feeding the ball to Jack Harrison. Jack Harrison today was four of 10 in dribbles, like wow. 10 dribble attempts is ridiculous, right? And four of 10 is not good, but what was interesting is he was four of six in the 34, 34th minute. Zero for six after that, zero for three in the second half. So despite them really attacking down that side, and they were getting deep, they were getting into dangerous areas, never really came out with anything too much. And and we we dealt with it. You know, we showed some character. We we dealt with it pretty well. And and you're kind of wondering when we would make our first sub. And we've seen a little pattern here. 72nd minute. That's uh, you know, often you see the 60 minute sub. That's a little more the the more common one. Maybe this was a little bit late, but it was a kind of a curious sub because you're thinking, all right, how are we going to line up now? Daly Ali comes in for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Probably the right thing. I mean, he had just gotten back. That's good. You figured Richarlison would kind of play up top, but they yeah. almost were playing as equals, and it was just nice. The attacking guys just had a lot of freedom, and I think that was that was probably key to the match because um, it's not some rigid old-school 4-4-2. It, it was pressured high, had a lot of freedom, and... Ali started to grow in the match a little bit, too. He had some moments for sure. Um, it'll be interesting to see him and Donnie kind of played together. Um, but anyway, and, and soon right after that, Alex Awobi uh, finally gets his yellow in an absolutely <laughs> blatant. It was like bear hugged a blatant trip. But look, Alex Awobi deserves a lot of credit for running his tail off. And he always works hard. But I've never seen him so physical. Like yeah. He was really going into duels, shoulder down, and blowing guys up at times. And I think the crowd really applauded this in kind of a strange way. And I think that was very much a testament to to the work effort he was putting in on defense. But still at this point, James, I'm thinking, God, can we just get one more and just kind of finish these guys off? And, as if, and, and then as if to answer that exact thought, in the 77th minute, Richarlison takes the ball. He does a little... Uh, drag over the top to create some space for the shot rips it it looks like on first watch for me that it went directly into the bottom corner past melier uh three nil and then on the replay we find out that anthony gordon just getting in the mix messing things up it takes it we're not messing things up in this case but taking the ball i think off his heel and yeah. sending it into the bottom corner, which Arlison celebrates like it's his. And eventually, when he was uh, subbed shortly thereafter, I'm sure he was very frustrated and disappointed to find out that he only gets the assist and Anthony Gordon will get his second very bizarre and really not intentional goal of the season. No, it's kind of ridiculous. Two 
crazy deflections. It was very funny to see Anthony Gordon on the bench and someone it looked like they told him that he got credit for the goal. He just laughed. I mean, he was <laughs> loving it. But he deserves a lot of credit today. I mean, he, he settled down into the match and his effort, his energy, um, he was attacking the goal, shooting from all over the place. But what was really strange after this is finally in the 81st minute, and I don't know if we're going to see this again for the rest of the year, but finally we got not an El Ghazi sighting, but an El Ghazi sighting. I don't know who El Ghazi is, but I know who El Ghazi is. And he came on and um, he played more like El Ghazi because he was somewhat anonymous in his substitute appearance. Um, but it was good in that it got Anthony Gordon subbed off and able to get innovation from the Goodison faithful. And then right after that substitute, uh, Deli Ali just tries. The game re- just gets weird at this point. Yeah. Because we know we're winning. Guys are like trying all sorts of stuff. What? Un- I mean, he tries. If he pulls this off, I mean, you got to be kidding me. And this is kind of what he, uh, what what his bread and butter was, was just sort of like this level of, I guess, ambition, whether or not it actually comes off. But, you know, you've seen some of the goals he scored and you wouldn't even imagine trying something like that. But he tries to, from a really, really tight angle from basically, you know, to the right of the six yard box, tries to curl it into the far corner with the outside of his boot. It goes wide, but... Good to see him at least, you know, trying to make things come off and especially comfortable that we're already 3-0 up. Uh, and then in the 90th minute, I'm going to let Ryan narrate this one. But this... No, 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 no. You do it. I I, I love this too much because <laughs> I, this this was him, man. Deli Ali, fine in space and just... I, I don't know what would have happened if this went in, by the way. He receives the ball, Deli Ali, in basically like... I don't know, 40 yards out, 45 yards Wait, out. Hold on, hold on. Don't skip the crazy Awobi, like, flip the ball up. One, like, one touch, flip it up, and yes. then toss it over his head, basically, Dali. I'm like, why would you even attempt to do that? In like, That's just Awobi in a nutshell. Just sometimes he does stuff, you're like, why would you even think to do that? But it worked. Uh, it worked. It did. it did. And Ali brought it down, and what a, what a, what a cross. And at this point, Solomon Rondon had also come on, of course, um, substituted for Richarlison. And he is basically on the back line of leads. He points behind, calling for it. Deli Ali swings it in, really accurate. And Rondon takes an incredible first touch. A full volley, smashes it. Melier makes a really good save. But if this one had gone in, a Wobi to Deli Ali to Rondon for a goal of the season contender, I think you said it on the space. I think everyone's head in Goodison Park would have just exploded. It just stopped. I think it would have been just like silence. You know what I mean? It would have been like in church. Uh, he hits this really well, but let's be respectful. Solomon, Venezuelan hat track hero, hat, yeah. hat trick hero, Solomon Rondon. I mean, please, let, with all due respect. Uh, this got us to the end of the game. Look, we were pretty dominant, you know, and it was a good feeling. I, that 77th minute goal made the last, you know, 15 so much more pleasant, really. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. And the crowd was just loving it. You could tell it must have been a great experience there today. Some of these moments, man, I just get totally jealous. I'm like, God, why don't I live right there? You know, Amen. Just, one day, maybe one day. Um, yeah, I thought we were pretty dominant. I don't know how you thought. Um, some of the numbers, too, I think, in terms of shots were pretty stunning and uh, not unprecedented. But, man, we haven't really seen that sort of output in a long time. A long, long time. And this is from uh, Matt Cheatham at Matt underscore Cheatham. That's the first time Everton have recorded 20 plus shots and 10 plus shots on target in a Premier League game since 2013, some 314 games ago, almost a full decade. Just sums up just how offensively dominant we were. And on top of that, Leeds didn't manage a shot on target. 
though it still kind of annoys me that posts don't count as a shot on target, even though I, I get the technicality there. They didn't go in. They wouldn't have gone in. I don't know why yeah. they care so much. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, I would love to see when was the last time we did that and the other team didn't have a shot on target. Right. It must have been an absolute tail kicking. And and all this wasn't quite to that extent. Uh, they really didn't have any clear-cut chances. They were just incredible individual efforts. And look, uh, the crowd played a major part in this, and, and Hamas and I really wanted to put that in here and try and capture that. And I think Dan James's comments after the match says it all, I, I think, in my my opinion, and, and we wanted to put that in here. Um, I'm interested in your take on this because, I mean, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, and it just couldn't be more true. And I, I, I got to believe the crowd made a big difference today. And it just goes to show you what you can do. And hopefully we take this forward. A hundred percent. And this is from Dan James. Following the match, he said, when the crowd got behind them, they looked like a great team. We tried to control the game a bit more, but we didn't start at the races. We just didn't deal with it well. The crowd really got behind them and that worked in their favor. And it really just kind of ties and put, puts a nice little bow on our earlier discussion regarding the impact of fans. Um, when Goodison is like this, uh, and I think it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg situation. Like Goodison probably wouldn't have been like this if we hadn't gone up two nail inside twenty five minutes. But if you maintain that level of atmosphere, it's going to be so distracting for the opposition and just make their job so much harder. When you feel the eyes and the the anger and the support in terms of the home team, just bearing down on you it's almost like a, it's a palpable weight like on your shoulders that you have to deal with you just can't get away from it because you're on top of the pitch i mean if you right. haven't been to goodison you gotta see it. i mean it's just and there are some other stadiums like it but no, i just feel like i've never been to one quite quite like this you know what i mean yeah and and i was doing just some because i've i've been thinking about this for the past couple of days since the foster comments i was looking into like there has been scientific research done on the impact of crowds. And one of the things that they, they point out is the density of the crowd makes a huge difference um, and can even influence refereeing decisions. Although I know Ryan that you uh, probably don't feel that was the case today, but it does just the, the crowd psychology just has this way of kind of permeating the entire match. Um, so it does make a difference and, and the players acknowledge it. It's not just a cliche. It does happen in almost every sport. And today the fans deserve a huge amount of credit for helping get the team over the line. And look, it helps when you come out like on fire and, and with maximum effort. And we saw that. Now, I think fitness still had a lot to do with it. I mean, if you can send guys out there that are fit, that haven't been running in the ground in, in these tighter schedules, it does make a difference. That's why a lot of teams that have depth tend to do better in this time of the year. And I, I think Frank did a decent job taking a couple chances and using his depth today. I, I think the first name that comes to mind is Alex Awobi. I mean, Awobi led Everton with touches with 62. Five key passes, all from open play, too. He's not getting these things from corners or anything. And, I mean, he was one of our, our highest number of passes. I think he had 35, but 85%, over 85%. was right behind Donnie, Van de Beek, and, and Richie. Three tackles, one interception. I'd love to see his percentage of duels won. I'll look at it later when, when they actually put it out because I, I don't get the opta feed because I'm not paying that. Uh, some of the journos do. But it was unbelievable. It seemed like every single time he went into a 50-50 ball, he won. Um, Frank Lampard, I think, had some really encouraging words about this after the match, and I wanted to give this quote because we talked a little bit about – I had some concerns that 
if Duncan Ferguson stayed on staff, which is fine because I think he's a good coach most likely, but my concern was that he would kind of bring some of the legacy stuff in the past, and I really thought it was important for some of these players with a brand-new system and scheme to start anew. And and I think we both thought someone like Alex Iwobi might benefit from this style of play because Alex Iwobi is a very good presser. Um, he, he likes having the ball at his feet. He'll take care of it. He needs to. And And I like the fact that he tries stuff. That's really good. Doesn't always pull it off. He's a little inconsistent that way. But in order to do that without having it hurt the team, you've got to have the ball and be in position to to afford to do that in the final third. And this is a better setup for him. It's more like his Arsenal Arsenal setups. But So Richard Buxton posted this. Lampard on Alex Awobi. This is Frank speaking, and I'm not even going to attempt the accent. Um, one of the beauties of coming in like this is... It's a restart for everybody. What Alex has done is trained at a great level. He demanded a place in the team with his performance. He had to do a lot of work off the ball, and he did everything. And what more can you say about a player? I mean, that is a huge heaping praise. And you saw after the match, the big hug he gave him. Awobi is better when he's having fun, you know, and smiling and, and enjoying himself. And the crowd seemed really supportive of him today. And I, I just think it meant it had to mean a lot. Awobi had a rough uh, African Cup of Nations. He kind of got displaced on the team, which was very surprising, I think, because leading up to it, he was a mainstay. He couldn't have been feeling all that great about himself. This match, hopefully it helps him carry on because he can help this team, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And to your point about him being kind of a high-risk, high-reward type player, I think that's exactly why having the crowd behind him will do so much for his style of play because he's not going to be afraid to try the ridiculous move like the flick that he led to the pass to Deli yeah. Ali if he doesn't feel like he's going to have everyone kind of like, what are you doing? The yeah, booze, yeah. you know, ringing out. So when he feels comfortable and confident, he can pull off a lot of that stuff and he really made a lot of it come off today. Look, he's entertaining. I mean, I don't care what I agree. you say about him. He is really entertaining at times. Sometimes entertaining in a way like why on earth would anyone even attempt to do that? Yeah, he's got a lot of that kind of London street ball in him, you know, and, and, but you need that. You need a guy that can break things down and play people through. I'd love to see what he would do if he had kind of a boxcar to his right, because I still think he's a little limited in how he can attack from the right side in that yeah. setup. But one thing he normally does do when he's out there, and even with Carlo when he played deeper, he does take pretty good care of the ball. I mean, he's not giving it the ball away all the time. He tends to err on the side of caution, but I was really impressed with his defensive efforts today. Yeah. Um, coming back and helping out Seamus Coleman deal with a predominantly wide attack, especially Jack Harrison, who was on fire coming into this match. And he was asked to do a lot of that under Carlo Ancelotti, a lot of the defensive work while maybe not being able to get forward quite as much. And just one last thing on Alex is I'll say that um, the things that make him a good player in that he can try a lot of things and brimming with confidence are the same things that can make him an incredibly frustrating player. Why I think so much of the fan base had written him off up to this point, because when it's not working, it just looks it does. It doesn't look good. Right. So, you know, you kind of can kinda understand that. But hopefully a new leaf, as Lampard points out, a fresh start for all involved. And that's a, can only mean good things for players who have maybe struggled up to this point. Uh, another player who is excellent today, Anthony Gordon. We talked about him quite a bit already. Maybe uh, just the sheer endeavor outweighing the quality for him up to this point. He gets the goal with the asterisk, um, gets the assist from the corner, of course. But he was all over the place, switching sides, cutting inside with the ball, really confident with the ball at his feet, gets five shots, all of which were on target, two for five in crosses, 
No bad touches for him, which is a nice thing to see because sometimes his control has been a little bit off in the recent past. Dispossessed three times, but also had four tackles and led the team. I think he does a really good job of taking the ball and getting the ball into space when he has the pace to beat people. So uh, sometimes it's not the best in close quarters, although we saw a really good one-touch pass to spring the first goal. I I just like him on the left. I think he's better on the left. So when you put him on the left, you know what you get? Five out of five shots on target. He's a threat. Now, were any of them complete bangers? No, but that's not really the point. One, One in the second half was pretty good. The point is he's a threat that way. And what's really impressive is his pressure and his athleticism. I mean, the dude can fly. Um, we're talking the other day and he's gotten so much stronger on the ball. You can just see him grow and he's confident. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens when Damari Gray comes back. I still like Anthony Gordon running at people off the bench, but how can you argue with what he did today? An assist off the corner, a goal off the kind of wacky deflection, but I love this. Mozo Football at Mozo Football, which is channeling my inner Alan Mozo, is like my favorite player in League MX, who we saw in Florida. Long story short, um, Anthony Gordon had more shots on target, five, attempted more crosses, five, won more total duels, eight, and suffered more fouls, too, than any other player against Leeds United. Well, a couple people suffered fouls, too, so it's a little bit accurate. But the point is, he was all action today, man. Put yeah. a lot of pressure back on them. And, and, and like I said, I really the Iwobi Gordon tracking back uh, really helped us. And, hey, Iwobi was fresh. He could do it. Gordon's played a lot of minutes, but he's young. He's got legs. And, and I think... I think Frank did a good job playing to our strengths today. The one tactical twist that I was a little concerned about is, and still am a little bit at times, Donnie Van de Beek playing deeper. Uh, I don't love, but I think against some of the weaker teams, he can kind of get away with it. I thought today, I mean, the one thing you cannot deny about this guy, though, he does put in the effort, he fights, and man, can he pass. His first touch is so good, and his passing in terms of weight and directional accuracy is uh, really elite I was so happy to see him sneak into the final third a couple times. The first goal is a classic Donnie Vandebeek, where he kind of, you know, slowly kind of sneaks himself into a dangerous spot. And he's found with acres of space because he's so smart in terms of his awareness and finishes it off. But for the most part, he played deeper today. He was getting stuck in. Him and Alon played very well as a, as a team together. I don't know how much we can expect that to happen against maybe some of the tougher teams with a more robust midfield, and Leeds was probably a little tired today. I was very impressed by him. Boy, he was a difference maker today, and him being fresh probably made a big difference too. Totally. He had four tackles. He led the team there. Um, most passes as well with 40, highest passing percentage, so clearly pivotal to our um, ball retention, although it was you know not the best today, but... In in, the, in as far as we did it, he was really important in all of it. Three aerials, one, an interception, and the key pass, of course, on the goal. Um, I'm really interested to see where our midfield lands when we have Decore back. Like, what sort of does does Lampard end up with the four three three? Who plays where? Because you're right, you know. And, and Alex said this point earlier and has on the pa- in the past. If this is what we get out of Donny Van Van de Beek in a less than optimal position for him and you have to take the opposition into account, really, really hopeful about what he can achieve if he's put in a position where he is better suited and can be more successful. Yeah, him taking more risks I think would be interesting. You know, you can just see the talent in him again. Put it this way, if that guy was like a little bit more athletic, 
I mean, he would be like a world-class player. I mean, really. I mean, that's his only real knock on him. And look, he was reckless a little bit coming into tackles at times. But, you know, today it mattered. To me, it was kind of a, like a crazy, reckless, all-effort type thing. And you got to you gotta play hard and run a ton against leads, and he's got no problem with that. So, Lambert, I, I loved his comment about this very thing. His comment afterwards uh, at Click Everton brought it to us today. Um, I think you can do different roles, and that's why I moved so quickly to get him. Um he played in a double number six today and has the talent to link and get us through the lines. He's a goal threat, too. So that was one of the big pulls of bringing him in. And I agree. I mean, he's shown himself to be adaptable, and it looks like Frank's not going to be afraid to use him all over the pitch. He's on a loan, so you want to get the most out of the guy. Um, and he was important for us today. One of the best players on the pitch, for sure. I'm curious of what you thought about Richarlison's effort today. He's played a lot of minutes. I like having him out in a wider space because he can hold up the ball. And he did drift out wide a couple times, getting away from, from Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Their setup with three in the back makes that a little harder. But I love when he gets wide. When Dominic Calvert-Lewin, when, when teams are playing back four, Dom can occupy the two middle guys. Richarlison normally has then a matchup uh, issue against the other team playing wide. I'm looking forward to see what these guys look like in a 4-3-3. I thought he played pretty well today. He didn't take the best care of the ball, and the numbers show that. But you know you're going to get full effort from this guy every match. Yeah, I was just about to say, you never fault the guy's work rate. It's incredible. He has a knack for drawing fouls. He obviously took that shot to the shin early on, um, which, you know, was the shin guards. Shin pads? Was the shin clean? pads are a joke, man. When we were over, uh, when Alex and I were in the locker room at Gooda Center, maybe it was at Finch Farm, they had, like, all the player shin guards. And I swear some of them are, like, postage stamps. They're, like, it's, like, comically small and Richarlison's were also. I don't know if there's any regulations. If there's even the logic behind that, I, I never understood that. They're so light now; it doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, what what is that? I, you're not using your ankle for that much stuff. My God! At least maybe I'm just a big thug, and the way I play, I need them. I but think I, that's I probably did, true. Okay, that may be true. But I, there are times where literally I've had guys crack shin pads. Like, yeah, and maybe maybe I was going in hard, but and had like bruises for weeks. But God, I mean, the way Richarlison plays, I, I think he's crazy. But I mean, he did get whacked. I, I didn't think he was hurt. I thought he was maybe taking his time down there. But, yeah, the effort was there. Effort was there, totally. I mean, he ended up with three key passes. He's always, always trying to just do everything. Um, it is a little maybe concerning, maybe just something to, to keep an eye on. It seems like him and Dominic Calvert-Lewin's chemistry is a little bit off at times where they don't necessarily want to give the ball to one another and the, the link-up isn't quite there. So if they're going to play in a duo, I would just hope to see that relationship further develop and Richarlison had 12 giveaways turnovers today um but didn't pass it away mostly just got dispossessed he had 87 percent passing completion rate so um not not gonna fault the guy it's really there he was maybe one of the less stellar performances but they were all i think to a man pretty commendable today I mean, twelve turnovers to mine is pretty bad. But Crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think it'll kind of work itself out if we get into the four three three personally. Yeah, and I think, or four two three one, and I think that's eventually what Frank will settle in with. Um, look, there are some guys in the back line that played great that are worth mentioning. Mason Holgate had seven clearances. Nobody else had more than two on the team. Now, granted. Maybe he didn't have to hoof every one of those into the stands. But yeah. I, I thought other than the one, you know, he has one reckless moment every match, right? He always does. But I, him running back and beating people and using his pace and his anticipation to win the ball, not allowing us to get played behind was crucial today. And I can't say enough about John Joe Kenny, two tackles and three interceptions, two key passes, three dribbles. 
he was outstanding today, no question. Uh, no question at all. Let's get into some listener comments before we hit man of the match. Let's start out with um, the opposite of the wee man, the big man, <laughs> Matt Clevy at Matt Clevy. Uh, feels good to watch the team without the constant feeling of dread that clouded the reins of Le Sabeto. Um I think Raffle is better personally. Guillaume Balage is going to give me crap about this. I know. I, hope he, <laughs> oh, I don't think he listens to the pod, but if I tweet it out, he would probably send me a message at this point. Um, hoping this performance and Brentford will be the standard under Frank and that Newcastle was a bump in the road. A manager showing tactical flexibility. The waiter would never. <laughs> as long as I love he's the, just the waiter, maybe. I, yeah. By the way, Guillaume was like, he thinks that Spanish waiter thing is like, really, he does not like, he's like racist. Yeah. And, and it's maybe crossing a line a little bit. I mean, I think it's more just jovial, stupid at this yeah. point. It's kind of meaningless and he's being a little sensitive about it. But, but yeah, the flexibility is key. I, I do think this has a little bit to do though with Leeds kind of playing on a short, short lease and not playing very particularly well. But, but the guys that you expected to perform and then didn't, and you got to give Frank credit for that. Yeah. And you can only beat what's in front of you, right? So these guys, um, they, they did just that. We had Sean Khan. Uh, also, both Matt and Sean were in the Twitter space. If you want to check that out, it's on uh, our Twitter feed. You can go listen to the replay. By the way, if you're playing pickup soccer against Sean, he has no left foot. <laughs> that's what uh, that's what my 12 year old said when they were playing in Orlando. Like, what a, jerk, what a jerk do you have to be as a 12 year old? Be like, dude, why don't you go to your left? You have no left foot. Like, <laughs> what? How is that my kid? Like, what a jerk. Anyway, I thought it was very funny. Um, it was funny. Yeah, We yeah, had he's, Sean. He's part of our dialogue in the Discord. I really, yeah, I, you know, he's great. And, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. He said, really was impressed how we looked at it, looked at it from the jump. Leeds is always a tricky opponent and think a lot of our fringe players, Owobi, Holgate, Keen, Kenny, had standout performances. Everyone played within their strengths and didn't do too much. Two games in the next two weeks will help. I think that's a really good point to end with finally getting a little bit of a reprieve, some rest, hopefully get some guys uh, back to full fitness, maybe see some people returning and we'll go from there. Next up yeah. we have. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, I, Ryan. No, I, I, I agree. And his point is like, Frank is the one that's placing him in positions to succeed. And that's something that the previous manager did the complete opposite at times, which is striking because he's not been here that much. I mean, I think him playing Townsend the other night on the left side was a very bad idea, but he also didn't claim to do some player audit. Like it's going to take time for him to understand what these players can do, but this was an audition for some of these guys. You could feel it, you know, and they came forward. And that, I think that relates very much to, to, um, Josh's comment here that is now in front of us. James is throwing me a curveball there. He just like actively put it on our sheet and deleted it. But anyway, uh, at Crypties, I thought leads were really poor. <laughs> That's, I could totally picture him saying that, by the way. Yeah. But we jumped on them from the start, which is what fans love to see. Yes, agreed. Um, VDB or DVB. I mean, you can use many different yeah. it was class. Awobi battled more than I've ever seen him do. And yeah, I think we said it a million times. Awobi was a physical presence today. He's not a bet, not a small guy. No. It was good to see him use, use his body. Um, and I like Dan McArdle's comment here. Cause it kind of pivots. We focused a little on John Joe, but uh, he's got to be in the shout for man of the match. He's up there. And Dan said, never thought I would see it, but John Joe Kenny with an MOTM performance at left back, stellar first half containment of Rafinha, and several dangerous runs forward, emblematic of a passionate and organized performance from the entire team. Really like that from Dan. We then had A. Freeman at A. Freeman's 11. Said, awesome response from midweek. 
Gordon and Awobi were brilliant and relentless. DCL has strong performance and hold up coming back. Very solid in the midfield. And where did this left back come from? Great question. Also Coleman's best game in a long while. Very exciting to see. Yeah, we didn't really talk about Seamus Coleman too much um, after the first goal, which was so important. But I thought he really played well within himself and didn't try to do too much. Uh, was also pretty influential and a lot of minutes for him. Again, we've been hitting on that almost all season because it feels like consecutive games is a lot of minutes for Seamus. But three games in the inside of a week, and this was probably the best of the lot. Against some teams where we're going to have a lot of possession, it would be nice to have some athletic dangerous play you know wide on the right side but a today, scottish you don't really... young scottish yeah. player perhaps maybe uh i don't know if he can really defend very well at this point but he can definitely go forward uh that's a debate for another day but it's a fair point and i, I think seamus is probably not going to bring too much of that anymore um but he did play within himself and he had to try and take care of a, a very hot jack harrison coming into the match and did a good job i like marco's comment here at roost 96 because Man, the match is not going to be the crowd or or the coach. I mean, I guess you could make it that way, but I'm not going to be that person. Um, Frank Lampard and his coaches deserve most of the credit, getting a game like that out of the players' credit where it's due. Now, I'll counter that to say some of these players are better than they've shown, and I think it just took you know putting them in a position to succeed to show that. But, but you got to give the crowd credit. I mean, they really had them fired up. They were positive. That's what it sounded like to me. That's what we've heard from people that were there. And and look, they just gelled and kind of vibed together. And we came out like a ball of fire, and we flat out overwhelmed them early. And, uh, and you know, the Leeds team was tired, and we took advantage of that. And Frank put people in the positions to succeed. Um, so maybe they're not man of the match, and we'll get to that right now. But they were hugely influential. And Paul Clement on set pieces is just a miracle worker at this point. Yep. Um, or the guy before us wasn't very good. I mean, Carlo, we scored a ton of goals off corners and headers and whatnot. Paul Clement has now taken that mantle, former Carlo associate. The guy in between did none of that. So, um, you know, it's nice to see it actually happening because I do think we have personnel to be successful off set pieces, and they can make a huge difference. Totally. Yeah, it's night and day. It really is crazy how good we were and then how poor we were for a very specific start point and end point under Le Saboteur. Uh and now all of a sudden we're good again. I think part of it might be, you know, having guys like Dominic Calvert-Lewin back. Um, but there's something to be said for organization and, and strategy being executed on set pieces. And look, this, the coaching staff, we've talked about it a lot. We were very excited when we saw the names that Frank was building in his backroom team. And it's starting to pay dividends for us. So fantastic to see now. To wrap things up, Ryan, let's do man of the match. Who should go first? Should I go first or should you, you go, go first? first? This is tough. I mean, there yeah. are a lot of good performances, not many bad ones. Yeah. Well, look, I'm going to leave, I think, who I know you're going to go with. Um, I won't steal it from you. I'm going to go with John Joe Kenny because he was my the player I was most concerned about when I saw the lineup, and I was floored with how well he played out of position. And so just from a, a pure, like, my expectations were so low, and he exceeded them beyond all my wildest dreams. I think he earns the man of the match and shutting down who is, in my opinion, at least fit for leads, their most dangerous player in Rafinha so much so that he got yanked at halftime. I'm going to get, I'm going to say it was because of that and not, you know, fatigue or any other reason. It was purely because Bielsa said, you're not getting a sniff off this Kenny kid. You're done. 
that's a great narrative, right? I don't know if that's what happened, but <laughs> it is. Uh, believe me. Just okay. Well, well, yes, of course it is. Um, he's definitely a good choice. Alex Awobi is a tempting pick. You know, uh, we gave the numbers. He was hugely influential today, and and I think if anything, he would have been kind of the person to draw the ire of the crowd in many ways. And the fact that he really performed with very few bad plays, very few mistakes, and imprinted himself on the match. Probably got the crowd as energized as anything because it's kind of like, well, if he's not making bad touches, who the heck are we going to jeer and boo? So uh, until Rondon comes in, of course. Uh, but <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, I think Donny Van de Beek probably deserves it. And the reason why I say this is I don't think it's necessarily his best role. I don't think it's most natural role. But they dominated the midfield. We haven't even mentioned the lawn. Uh, both those guys were good and influential. And they were kind of like the backbone. And I thought they were more more disciplined today. Uh, he had a ton of tackles. He won a bunch of balls. He was just such a, when he got the ball, you knew it wasn't going to go someplace bad. Um, so, but now, now, all right, fine. Alex will be man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> Let Ryan have his, uh, his joking no, victory. Look, look, in all seriousness, though, I, I think Alex played with a lot of freedom, and I thought he was just a little bit of a difference maker today. And I think, actually, the numbers are probably could have been even better um, you know, if we, if a couple of people got on the end of a couple of his ideas, but he was pulling the strings. I mean, almost every one of those combinations we had that were dangerous, Alex was somewhere in there yeah. making a tricky pass or adding something to it. Um, but most important is his ability to track backs always been good, but I mean, him adding that physical element today was massive. He could have very easily come out there, kind of gone through the motions and been totally just bummed out about always being, you know given all sorts of jeering and garbage. But the fact that he, even coming across the, the Africa, African Cup of Nations disappointment, I think he deserves a lot of credit today. And I, I think he maybe edges out Donnie and, and um, John Joe Kenny for it, I think. Yeah, I'm going to give it to him. Why not? All right. I love it. And that's a great place to wrap up this optimistic and really enjoyable to record episode of the American Toffee Podcast. <laughs> if you enjoyed it, listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it, be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on your platform of choice. Again, all of our links will be in the description, but if you want to find them, you can find them at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That includes social media as well as our Discord, which can be found at invite.gg slash ATP. We'll next look ahead to the Southampton match, another huge one before we play Man City, and then we go to Bore or play Boreham Wood in the FA Cup. So the matches keep rolling. The ATP keeps trucking along. We'll be with you next time. Until then, up the top list.